two of Merrick Has Issues. And holy hell, I don't know about you guys, but these past two weeks have really flown by for me. Okay, so partly that's because last week I ended up with a huge migraine, uh, which wiped out anything extra I wanted to work on for those few days that my brain was exploding. Um, and I got pretty much nothing accomplished last week. But sometimes it just be like that and you gotta cut yourself some slack and remind yourself that managing to do the bare minimum is gonna have to be enough because your brain is trying to kill you. So yeah, the week prior to Migraine Land is when Merrick Has Issues officially launched in its new podcast format. So that was pretty cool. Uh, it, it ended up aligning nicely with the show getting approved for iTunes and Stitcher and then kind of seeding out to lots of other apps. So now Merrick Has Issues is available to stream and subscribe most everywhere people listen to podcasts. The days after episode one dropped were kind of a whirlwind of promotion and social media stuff, but it was very neat seeing everyone's kind words and feedback and having so many friends promote the show to their own networks. So thank you for that, folks. It was very kind of you. Uh, one of my friends who is also a nerdy podcaster, she goes by Beanarita on Twitter, and she's part of the Geek in the City podcast. She calls me a slinger of sequentials, which I think is fabulous. And it's going to have to go on my business cards because, damn, that is such a good line. Well played. People do still use business cards, right? Uh, well, I'll get a few printed up just in case because now I need something to put slinger of sequentials on and business cards seem like a good fit. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you for your shout outs and for subscribing and providing feedback on that first episode. Uh, many more good things on the way. So, yay. Uh, what else? Um, before I got my headache of doom last week, I, <laughs> this is kind of a drawn out story, not about comics. Bear with me here. Uh, before I got my headache last week, I went in for my six-week microblading touch-up on my eyebrows, and now I have amazing eyebrows all the time with no makeup needed. It's super nifty. Microblading is not the same as tattooing, but it is very similar. Um, instead of a machine laying down a solid line of color, a microblade technician, they do have special training for this, they design a general shape for your new brows based on your bone structure and your existing brows. So like what kind of, like what direction the hair of your eyebrows grows in and you know, how the, the shape that your eyebrows currently are. Cause sometimes, you know, if you over tweeze, maybe you don't have a lot of eyebrows right now. Uh, so the technician draws a new shape for you, does all this charting on your face and then they mix custom inks to match your hair or just kind of match whatever your end product goal is. Uh, so for example, nobody has seen my natural hair color in well over two decades. And so I asked to aim for a finished product that would be a cooler and darker tone of brown than my natural eyebrows because that is what I am, you know, drawing on when I do my makeup. 
something a little darker than what was there. I needed some more pop. Um, also, because microblading sits more shallow in the skin than traditional tattooing, it's not as permanent as traditional tattoos, so it does fade after two or three years, and you're supposed to go in for touch-ups every couple of years to keep things fresh without overloading the skin with too much ink, which you can do uh, for any kind of tattoo. So then after all that, after you've healed, it's very similar to healing a normal tattoo. Uh, the results are so cool and they look incredibly natural after healing. I posted a lot about my own experience on my personal Instagram after my first appointment. And in doing that, I learned just how many people I know who had also gotten their eyebrows done, but had never mentioned it. And I had no fucking clue. So microblading is probably more common than you even realize. And you've probably seen it in person and not known it because the results truly are just that natural looking. It's amazing, honestly. The woman who did my brows, her name is Courtney at Ardengate Studio. She posts tons of before and after pics of most of her clients when they come in so that you can see the very dramatic but usually quite subtle change permanent makeup can achieve. And she even recently posted pics of a male client who has alopecia and he got some fresh as fuck brows on his face now. I love seeing that because I really feel that there are so many reasons someone might get permanent makeup, but the main goal always boils down to personal information and self-confidence. Like, I had perfectly fine natural brows before microblading, but I have also been wearing makeup since I was 14 or so, and I've always been one of those people who rarely leaves the house without some kind of makeup. Not that there was anything ever wrong with my natural face, it's just that my confidence and identity have always been based on a foundation, pun intended, of makeup skills. But over the past couple of years, I've been working on my skincare a lot. Um, I mean, I am 35 now, and it's called anti-aging, not reverse aging. So after 20 years of daily makeup, and you know your skin is kind of reacting to always having makeup on it and maybe you don't clean your face as well as you ought to so just skincare guys it's really important fucking moisturize your face um it's what i've been working on you should do it too and it honestly has made a difference i'm feeling so much more comfortable in my own skin and i'm getting closer to being able to leave the house without wearing any makeup that's partly because I have microbladed eyebrows, which you might consider hacks, but I don't care. I love it. I love it so much. So yeah, um, if you are curious to learn more about microblading, I did, like I mentioned, I did a bunch of questions and posted before and after pictures and pictures of the healing process that you can find as a highlight on my personal Instagram page. Uh, but also Google is your friend. YouTube is your friend. Read editorials, watch vlogger videos uh, for like behind the scenes stuff, process stuff, read reviews, read more reviews, and do plenty of research because this is your fucking face. It's very important. Don't go for the cheapest. Don't go for the easiest. 
like spend some time if you're going to do something like this because you you really don't want to fuck it up. If you really want to know what you don't want to fuck up, try Google microblading fail and that will give you nightmares, honestly. Uh, but don't do that the day before your appointment because then you'll have anxiety and that's not good either. Anyway, if you're in the Portland metro area, um, I would totally recommend Art and Gate Studios because Courtney absolutely elevated my eyebrow game. Absolutely no eyebrow microblading fail around these parts. And I am definitely plotting what kind of permanent makeup I want her to do next. She's phenomenal. So thanks, Courtney. Thanks for my eyebrows. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> to recap what's been up since the last episode, we had the podcast launch, followed by a stupid migraine, some eyebrows in the mix. Um, oh, the release of the Harry Potter Wizards Unite smartphone game. That has occurred. Um, okay, so this totally took me by surprise because I haven't been playing Pokemon Go for at least two years, I want to say. And while I knew that Niantic was working on a Harry Potter version of the same game, so it's basically uh, Pokemon Go, but Harry Potter stuff, um, and I was not staying up to date on release news. I just stopped following release news for a lot of this nerdy stuff because then I get surprised. I get really nice surprises when things get released unexpectedly. Uh, so then uh, my friend texted me that the game was out and I downloaded it. And of course I was level 10 by the end of the first day after the game launched. Uh, I've, I've been hitting it pretty hard to be honest, but I'm loving it. So I have posted tons of screen caps of my adventures on the Merrick Has Issues Instagram. You can find them in my stories. It's pretty much a Merrick Has Harry Potter Wizards Unite Instagram account now. Sorry. Um, yeah, find, find those stories pinned as a highlight on the podcast Instagram if you're so inclined. Plus, my friend code is in the mix there. So if you're playing Wizards Unite 2, you need some more buddies. You know, gotta fill out that roster of friends. Hit me up. I will definitely accept all friend requests in as far as it's limited to 200 people. So yeah, do that. Um, what else about this app? What am I loving? I mean, it's just, it's seriously got some witch vibes to it. I mean, I, that seems so obvious because Harry Potter, but some honest... Honest witch vibes, honest to goddess witch vibes, I guess. Uh, for example, the game, uh, the official release date for the game in both the US and the UK was summer solstice itself, June 21st. That is a major holiday in the magic realm. And what else? In the game's map view. So, you know, you've got your, your map overlay of the city. Uh, they have a little weather icon, so you can check on current conditions, and the weather conditions change what sort of stuff you find on the map to pick up, so what sort of potion ingredients that you're finding out there. So if it's raining, maybe there's going to be more mushrooms. I don't know. It hasn't rained yet, but that's what I'm expecting. And if you check the weather at night, it will tell you what phase the moon is in, which is so cute. 
So like you go check the weather at night and it'll say it's a clear night with a waning gibbous moon, that sort of thing. Amazing and factual and very helpful, honestly. Learn some stuff about the moon, guys. It's right there and, you know, it affects tons of shit. So understand what waning and waxing means. And honestly, I don't know what gibbous means, but I'm going to Google it after this. And, you know, of course, the animations are stellar and I'm really enjoying the role-playing game elements of Wizards Unite. They have definitely turned things up a notch after all the work on Pokemon Go. And this app is definitely scratching my MMORPG itch. You know, one of these days I'll get back to my Orc Hunter in World of Warcraft, but in the meantime, I am pretty happy with my level 15 Auror. That has definitely been a nice treat in my week. And before we move on to full comics nerdery, I did watch the new Swamp Thing TV series, and goddamn guys, it is so good. And now I too am upset that it got canceled. Bummer, absolute bummer. It's gorgeous. The writing is tight. The makeup and the effects are stellar. And there's some major body horror in definitely those first few episodes. Like, they are really on their game with this show. Uh, Swamp Thing himself, the character's design, is phenomenal. It's basically straight off of Bernie Wrightson's art desk, and I am a huge fan of Bernie Wrightson. I've never gotten really into the Swamp Thing character as much as I love Wrightson's art, but there is definitely a lot of good Swamp Thing comics out there that you don't have to have read to enjoy this show. You can go in pretty, you know, oblivious to the character and his origins and his villains and stuff like that and still have a really good time watching this. I'm enjoying Crystal Reed as Abby Arcane. I liked her a lot as Sophia Falcone on the Gotham TV show, so definitely enjoying her work on this one. And I'm also really, really enjoying this version of Madame Xanadu. Oh my god. I am thrilled that her character is included in this story. Madame Xanadu has long been one of my favorite characters from, uh, from either DC or Marvel comics. Like, she's amazing. I love her. I love Matt Wagner's run from years ago. And I'm just, I'm stoked that she's in the show. I mean, it's possible that I knew that she had been cast, that they had cast somebody for the character on the Swamp Thing TV show. But, you know, by the time it came out, I had totally forgotten that if I did know until her very unmistakable tarot cards played through in the opening sequence. And I was like, oh shit, is it her? And then they were like, oh yeah, that's Xanadu. She's up there hanging out and being creepy. And I was like, yes, internal screaming. Um, so yeah, I am really, really loving this version of the character. And Gerald Prescott, who a lot of people know from The Walking Dead TV show, even though I stopped watching that show long before she showed up, uh, she is great in... Swamp Thing, and I love her character outfits and her attitude, and I just really want her to have more screen time. She's the girl. Yes. So yeah, I'm three episodes in, and unfortunately, that means only seven episodes to go, and then mm, nothing? Who knows? But 
It really will be a shame if this is all we get of this wonderfully crafted show, so I'm going to spend my time with it and enjoy it while I can. Also, my friend Kelly Fitzpatrick, who is an amazingly talented comics colorist as well as skilled illustrator, she posed a question via Instagram, and it's not one I can answer myself, so I'm hoping that one of you will have some insight for us. Uh, last episode, we talked about Batman Last Night on Earth, and after watching the book trailer I posted in the show notes, Kelly was wondering if it's the same universe or continuity as a book that she worked on, which was Gotham City Garage. Gotham City Garage was a 12-issue run that ended in early 2018, and was collected in two, paper book, two paperback books, so pretty accessible to pick up and binge read. Um, the premise of that story was that Lex Luthor had turned Gotham into a kind of utopia with Batman and his henchmen as reinforcers. So without giving too much away about either Gotham City Garage or the new Last Night on Earth series, I can certainly see how there are some connective threads between the two stories. I can certainly see that being a possibility. But if you happen to have read both, Kelly and I would love to hear your insight on this and if maybe the two are set in the same universe. Yeah, let us know. Okay, so comics. First off, I must apologize to everyone for not recommending Silver Surfer Black in the last episode. I honestly do not know what I was thinking. I should have known better. I should have known. Because I will buy just about any book drawn by Trad Moore because he's fucking astounding. And I've been following his work since the first volume of the Luther Strode trilogy, which was written by Justin Jordan. And in the eight years since that series started, Moore's art has become so refined, and to me at least, it is instantly recognizable. He's phenomenal. And Silver Surfer Black, his work is no exception, and some of these page layouts just take my breath away. Uh, oh man, you, you guys gotta, gotta go check it out, gotta flip through this book, and you really should pick it up. Um, Tradmore's art is kind of, ooh, how would I describe it? I would say he's like the love child of Philippe Dreux. I'm probably massacring that name. He was uh, an illustrator from the original, like he was involved in the original Metal Herlant magazine series, which then became Heavy Metal. Um, so it's a mix of Dreux and Mobius. Most of us know him. Uh, so Moore's art has the real clean lines and flat colors of Mobius. But then he's got these really exotic alien designs and bright color palettes, like what you would find in Druyer's work. Um, yeah, it's a phenomenal book, and you should definitely pick this up for Tradmore's art alone. But as it happens, Donny Cates is also a phenomenal writer, and together they are crafting such a wonderfully existential and introspective and... I don't know, kind of like deep in the sad feels Silver Surfer story. Uh, Silver Surfer Black is only five issues, so that is another really easy commitment if you're uncertain about single issue series. Jump on in with issue one. You don't need a ton of Silver Surfer backstory. 
Lord knows I know next to nothing about the character myself, but now even just reading issue one, I wanna I wanna finish this off and then I wanna find some more uh, because I hear, you know, he's consistently very existential and such a sad boy. So I'm, I'm already curious to find more Silver Surfer out there. Yeah, five issue run and I'm really hoping that Marvel will do something really lovely for the hardcover collection when that comes out. Like DC has been doing a lot of foil covers on particularly their Dark Knight, Dark Knight's metal uh, hardcover collections and some of the paperbacks even. So I would love it if Marvel made a real shiny cover on this book. That would be cool. Silver Surfer Black issue one is on shelves now unless it's sold out at your shop and then you should special order it because they totally want to hook you up with that. And then issue two should be released in early, not early July. When is it? July 17 for issue two. Yes. Also this past week, um, Usagi Yojimbo moved over to IDW Publishing and kicked off a new all-color series of our favorite Ronin Rabbit. Usagi Yojimbo by creator Stan Sakai has been published with Dark Horse Comics since 1995, but it's the latest in a handful of series to move away from Dark Horse. And Usagi has moved publishers before. The series had started off at Fantagraphics in the 80s and then stopped briefly at Mirage before settling in at Dark Horse for the solid 20-year run. But whatever the reasoning, it's at IDW now, and it's going to be pretty cool to have a new Usagi story that is in full color, with color arts provided by one of Sakai's frequent collaborators, Tom Luth. And in addition, possibly good news, IDW will also begin republishing prior editions of the series in full color as well. So if you're new to Usagi Yojimbo, your bookshelves are about to get some majorly gorgeous new books, and if you've already got plenty of Usagi on those shelves, well, you're going to have a dilemma on your hands. Sakai has joked before that without Usagi Yojimbo, he doesn't know what he'd be doing to pay the bills, and it kind of makes sense because he's been working with this character and creating this world for over three decades and it's earned him a lot of recognition within the industry, but rightfully so, because it's it's been an amazingly consistent and stable and heartfelt comic book series over those years. It's also a great book for younger readers, since it combines some truly imag imaginative storytelling and character design with a very accessible dose of cultural history, most of the stories being set in feudal Japan era. So a lot of classic history and folklore from that time. So if you or a youth that you know has never checked it out, this new series that launched this past week should make for a great jumping off point. Then on the way this next week or two, we have Looks like the third and final issue of the Batman Damned series from DC Black Label. Batman Damned is written by Brian Azzarello, who is the author behind the current queer witch horror series Faithless, which I am totally loving. I haven't talked about it on the show much yet, but I have 
posted about it on my Instagram in some of my comics hauls. Um, it's a beautiful series. I'm digging the hell out of it. And when it starts to wrap up and has a trade paperback, I'll give you guys the rundown for it then. Um, but yeah, right now we're talking about Batman Damned, issue three. So it's by Brian Azzarello. The art, oh, the stunning, gorgeous, very painterly art by Lee Bermejo. Uh, this book very amusingly made waves with its very first issue when the pages included a very well-shadowed illustration of, shall we call it, Bruce Wang? And the speculator market for that issue skyrocketed. Everyone wanted to get their hands on some Bruce Wang first printing. That was a ridiculous thing to watch unfold, but there you have it. So issue three is the final piece of the story. And unless you were one of those lucky ones to snag that first issue, look for the hardcover of Batman Damned to be released in early September. Also next week, a new arc for Marvel's Conan the Barbarian starts. Oh, sorry, that's this week, not next week. Um, so yeah, Conan the Barbarian issue 7 this week. And then next week is the collected trade paperback volume of the first arc. So everything that's to date. That comes out July 3rd. So if you're a fan of Conan, uh, honestly, I've loved this series so far. The art is solid. The comic story is really fun, and they've had a great syndicated, uh, like, novel story in the back of the issues. Definitely pick up issue 7, or wait a week, get the first trade paperback, and then get issue 7, one or the other, uh, possibly both. Take it into consideration. Oh, and Legion Season 3 on FX. That show started its final season this past Monday. So I guess I better mainline season two so that I can then keep up on this new one. Because um, I loved season one. That was, I think I at least watched season one, possibly season two. I should at least go back and double check because maybe I can get in on three sooner than I thought. Uh, but yeah, this will be the final season for the show and Really curious to see how they're going to wrap it up because I don't read X-Men comics and it's an X-Men story. So we'll see. And to wrap up our comics talk, there's some good news on the horizon for fans of Kelly Sue DeConnick. Uh, Image Comics sent out a press release for the continuation of the series Pretty Deadly to come later this year, with issue one dropping in September. The first two volumes of Pretty Deadly, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and art by Emma Rios, were set in the Old West and were kind of a supernatural tale of revenge. Uh, I love the hell out of them. They're gorgeous books, they are well written, and they're not your usual comics fare. So the new arc, titled The Rat, pushes the story into the golden age of New Hollywood, with the fourth and fifth arcs already planned out. So in total the series will be five volumes and after several years hiatus on the series I'm pretty hopeful that this means we'll be getting some new pretty deadly issues on the shelves for at least the next couple years. Until then you should be able to find the first two paperbacks and play catch up via your local comic shop. Next weekend 
I will be heading over to check out the first year of the Indie Comic Con here in Portland, which is boasting no Hollywood celebrities and an entirely comic book focus. I know a lot of the creators who will be tabling at the event, and so far we're all pretty hopeful about the vibe of the show. Um, no celebrities is definitely a, an interesting and I would say good direction for a comics event to be going in. So we'll see. I'll talk about that on the next episode. And I'm going to be out there on Sunday. So if you are attending the Indie Comic Con in Portland next Sunday and you see me, please come say hi. Uh, I'm honestly very friendly and usually just generally confused. So make sure to introduce yourself and maybe let me know what your username is because to be honest, that's the name I'm more likely to remember. Uh, oh, and I'm gonna have some special treats in my pocket, some special Marrakesh Issues treats to get out to listeners and friends. So if you see me and you want something cool, flag me down say hi. Um, yeah, so next episode, we'll talk more about that. And in the meantime, you can keep an eye out on my Instagram and Facebook page for the inevitable comics haul from the con. All right. Well, I guess that's it for Merrick Has Issues episode two. Eyebrow boogaloo. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, and if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate and subscribe, or maybe just link it to a friend who might enjoy it. I mean, we all have that one nerdy friend who loves comic books and could maybe benefit from some microblading, right? Look around, and if you don't see that friend in your contacts list, well, maybe it's you. Alright folks, I'll talk to you next time. Bye! This has been Merrick Has Issues, produced and edited by Merrick Monroe. For news and announcements and additional content, please follow the podcast online. I'm Merrick Has Issues on both Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter is MHI Podcast. I do have a contact form set up at MerrickHasIssues.com as well, so feel free to hit me up wherever if you have a question or there's a topic you want me to talk about in a future episode. The theme music for America's Issues is provided by Keelan King from his Star Pilot Remixes album. You can learn more about this podcast and find my show notes for the episode at MerrickHasIssues.com. 